Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning as we gather as God's people. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I once was blind. I could not see. Chains of sin had shackled me. God in heaven heard my plea. Jesus, Jesus, rescued me. Jesus, Jesus, rescued me. I will sing forever of your love. Come down, my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness, when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. When you pulled me out, I will sing forever of your love. Come down, I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down, I will sing forever of your love. Come down, I will sing forever of your love.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. Shame is under your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the Fathers, we've gathered today in worship. We really want to be overcome by your presence. Because we know that this experience of worship is about you. We want it to be all about you. And we come with hearts open to you. We know that you are present with us. Be glorified in our openness, in our desire for you. And in all that you want to do in our lives. We ask this through Christ. Amen. 
Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. We welcome all of you uh, here to our worship service today, those of you here in the building and those of you who are following us on uh, streaming, and we're glad to have you a part of this worship time today. We're especially glad to welcome the Genesee Rapids baseball team as they uh, begin another season playing here, and we're excited to have all you guys here as a part of uh, worship today, and uh, we hope that this experience for you with uh, connecting with folks in the community in a variety of ways will really be a positive one for you. And and uh, we're happy you're here and glad to hope to see you a lot this summer. Uh, we also want to uh, invite you tonight at 6 o'clock to our ice cream social. This is uh, an annual event that we'll be meeting in the community room. Just a come and go time for uh, to eat some good ice cream and to uh, just have a chance to visit together. You know, the, the school years are winding down and we're getting... Hopefully, getting to have going to have some summer at some point in time, and uh, it's a chance for us just to reconnect with each other. And so, come, come and go as you as you would like, uh, beginning at six o'clock in the community room. Good evening, and welcome to you and your money on the Documentary Channel. This evening, we're continuing our eighty-four part series on the history of money. I'm Basil Coddington, your host. And with me tonight is our special guest, Dr. Penelope Morgenstern. Good evening, Basil. It's a pleasure to be with you. And please, call me Penelope. Thank you. So, Penelope, we've been discussing money and culture in this series. And this evening, we want to focus on your area of expertise, how religious groups have used money in their worship practices. When ancient peoples wished to pay tribute to their god, what form did that usually take? Well, Basil, in many of the oldest faith traditions, offerings often took the form of bringing one's own children to the altar to be sacrificed. Oh, my. I, I bet that made for some awkward family conversations. <laughs> Most certainly. Junior, your grades were a bit off last quarter. Oh, no, Daddy! Fortunately, the practice of child sacrifice faded out, and the faithful began to bring the products of one's own labor as an offering. In agrarian societies, for example, one might bring fruits or vegetables. Um, a shipwright might bring a boat. Um, tailors might bring offerings of clothing. I bet camel farmers found this form of offering somewhat difficult. Most certainly. All forms of animal offerings presented significant challenges because the animals often jumped out of the offering baskets. <laughs> So, Penelope, what happened next? Well, with the development of early forms of currency, giant rock tablets were often placed in the offering baskets. Because of their cumbersome nature, however, and the enormous mass of the larger currency denominations, in big churches, this often meant hundreds of trips back and forth for the ushers. I read in your book that a serious usher shortage was the consequence in many congregations. Uh, did the development of metal coins help with this problem? Yes, to a certain extent, although they could still be quite heavy, and if the offering were not taken prior to the sermon, congregants with their hands in their toga pockets rattling their drachmi and denarii really disrupted the preaching. Ah, so that's what led to the practice of taking the offering before the sermon. Precisely. But fortunately, the invention of paper currency, or in more advanced cultures of the 18th and 19th centuries, an IOU or a personal check, this provided worshippers with a much more convenient and lightweight option for giving one's offering. As a result, paper currency or promissory notes dominated the practice of giving for centuries. But even this was not without problems. Really? Such as? Well, it was not uncommon for people to run out of cash. Hmm, I, I could see that. With stone tablets or heavy metal coins, you kind of knew for sure whether or not you had money with you. But 
But with paper, it might be impossible to tell whether or not you had any. That's right. Your kids might clean you out and you wouldn't know it. So eventually, paper currency fell from favor among large segments of the population. What prompted currency's decline? Millennials. <laughs> A new generation arose and soon discovered that by not carrying currency with them, they could often get their parents to pay for things. Oh. You're at the restaurant, for example. The bill comes and the millennial child says, Oh, Dad, I don't have any cash. Could you get this and I'll pay you back? <laughs> exactly. Genius. But when millennials actually wished to make contributions to their houses of worship, they had a problem. That was solved with the expansion of computing technology and the internet. Mm, those millennials were able to provide an offering directly from their bank account. Brilliant. Yes, it was. Uh, has this approach gotten any traction? It has, Basil. The Houghton Wesleyan Church in Western New York, for example, began offering such a service to its members in 2017. Huh. <laughs> Did that mean that currency was no longer allowed at the church? Oh, quite the contrary. Paper currency, coins, and personal checks were still allowed for those who preferred those methods. But for those who wished to take advantage of the electronic transfer that was available... Live animals and gifts of fruits and vegetables, along with stone tablets, were discouraged, however. Thank you, Penelope, for this fascinating history. Please join us next week for an examination of the development of the commemorative penny-squishing machine in our next installment of Your Money and You. Thank you. Uh, we are uh, beginning this process of uh, doing online giving. If you're interested in that, you can go to the church website and there's information there. If you have questions about it, just contact the church office. So we'd be glad to help you with it. Uh, we also have, uh, have some new offering envelopes. Uh, we've had requests at different times for people who would like to use envelopes. There's a box of them on the back table. Pick up, feel free to pick up as many as you would like and need. And if we run out of those, we'll get some more. But uh, we, we want to make uh, giving uh, accessible to you because we believe it is an important part of our discipleship and what it means to be followers of Jesus. At this time, we're going to uh, have the opportunity to give now. And so we'd ask the ushers to come and assist us in giving of our tithes and offerings. That once was crowned with thorns Is crowned with glory now The Savior knelt to wash our feet Now at His feet we
tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the We are pleased to welcome uh, this morning Stacia Niver. Uh, Stacia, who is from our Western New York district for 14 years, worked at the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg, and the last couple of years has been working in support staff at Jericho Road in Buffalo. She has sensed a calling on her life from God to go serve with World Hope International in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And uh, we are, want to take a few moments today to, uh, to pray for her. Uh, Stacia has um, the work there is will be involved in the work uh, with World Hope in Bosnia. And uh, they do a lot with education, uh, education resource center for local school teachers, English language classes, other unique opportunities to reach people in this very divided Christian Muslim region. And our church missions committee has recently agreed to uh, help support Stacia in this adventure of faith. And uh, she will actually be sharing her story and what God is calling her to do and a bit about what will happen when she uh, arrives in country. Uh, She'll be sharing in the Kaleidoscope Sunday School class, which meets in the community room directly behind the church here. And everyone is welcome to be a part of that. So we want to, and also she'll be in the back for you after this service. Love to have you visit with her, encourage her. I think she has some prayer cards you could pick up as uh, we as a congregation support her. But as we move into a time of prayer, uh, we're going to ask her to come and kneel here at the altar. And uh, those of you who would like, uh, particularly missions committee elders, but everyone else who uh, would, be, uh, would want to support her, uh, please come gather around her as we pray for Stacia and also for the needs of our lives and our world. Father, this morning we want to give you thanks for your grace in our lives that calls us to opportunities beyond ourselves. Calls us to places that are out of our comfort zone. Calls us to the great work of your kingdom where we are and around the world. We thank you for the calling that you have placed upon Stacia. 
Thank you for her openness, her willingness to respond to that call. And uh, we ask today, Father, that uh, you will again, as I'm sure you've done for her many times, confirm your call upon her life. We pray that you would help her as she raises funds, help her as she raises prayer supporters, help her as she gets all the necessary things uh, together to embark on this journey of faith. And in every moment, we pray that she will know you are going before her and you are, you are preparing her and you're at work in her. And I pray that you will bless her ministry as she serves in, among the people of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Lord, we ask that your grace would be with her in all that she does in the coming months and when she arrives in country. Pour out your spirit upon her in the work there. We know that this is a nation of people that you dearly love. People who, who need to know the, the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ and the joy of life in Christ. And we pray, Father, that, that you will help her to be a part of that witness to the people she encounters. So, Lord, we pray your anointing upon her. Remind her of moments like these. When, in the times when she may be discouraged and frustrated and wondering about this call, remind her of moments like these that she may know and have confirmed your word to her and your presence with her every moment. So we place her in your hands, giving thanks for your grace and mercy to her. Father, we pray for, for the other needs of our world. We, we think particularly of, of the work that uh, you are doing with the, the Karengales as they serve in a leadership role for global partners throughout all of Asia. We pray that your anointing would be upon them and their ministry and the people they serve. And may, may the word continue to go out as you help them. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in places of the world who face great opposition and struggle and persecution. And we think particularly of the people of Yemen in this vulnerable, war-torn nation, place where there have been an outbreak of, there's been an outbreak of cholera and where your people face great difficulties and obstacles. May they know your grace and mercy in every way. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your church closer to us. And today we pray for the Big Tree Wesleyan Church in Blaisdell, Pastor Ingersoll. May your anointing be upon this congregation of believers and that they would know your grace to them, bonding them together in your love. And as they go and share the gospel, may their hearts be continually tuned to you. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing even closer to us. And we pray for the members of the Genesee Rapids, coaches and players and everyone involved. And pray that this would be a great summer as they are connected with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We pray that their ministry would be clear and that you would bless their witness to each other and to the teams that they play. And we ask that your anointing would be upon them in all that they do throughout the summer. And Father, you know the needs of, of um, the people of Sri Lanka as they are dealing with this recent flooding and all of the problems of that. We think of the uh, recent attacks of terrorism in places of the world. We grieve for those who are grieving. And we pray that through the power of your spirit that you would bring peace through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent today. Needs of those who are, needs of those who are struggling with health issues. Father, we ask that your grace and mercy would be at work in us, in all that we are and all that we do. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the first 11 verses. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. And now children uh, up through third grade may now be dismissed for children's church and junior church. Please stand as we sing together. stars they wrapped the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon One final breath he gave, and on that blackest day, the Son of God was laid in darkness. The battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. Love could not be overcome. Now, death-
Today is uh, Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. may not mean anything to you, uh, but historically it was one of the most important days in the year of the church. Pentecost actually was a Jewish festival that was celebrated every year in the bringing in of the harvest. And uh, it, it relates to the word of 50, when it was 50 days from Passover to when this day was celebrated. But the reason the church celebrates it is because in Acts chapter 2, it is on the day of Pentecost when the Jews are in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost, celebrating the harvest, this great festival of the Jewish faith. It's at that moment that the Holy Spirit comes miraculously upon the disciples. Acts 2 describes this scene of of flames on their head, look like flames on their heads and speaking in languages that they they didn't know and, and Thousands of people coming to Christ. And that day is significant to the church because it is the beginning of the church. Pentecost is the day that the church begins. And so it's a significant day in the church calendar. And as I was thinking about Pentecost today, I was thinking about the church and some of the things that that we hear and read and think about the church. And one of the trends that we see among a lot of people in the church, when we talk, in the world, when we talk about religion, we talk about faith, there is a rising, growing group of people who identify themselves as the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about women who wear habits and live in convents. I'm talking about people, when you ask them, what is your religious affiliation, they reply, I have none. And there's this rising group of people who say, that's not important to me. I don't have any religious affiliation. And it's become a significant demographic, particularly in North America. But there is probably, on my mind, even a more concerning demographic that is rising to the surface. I was just reading about it again this week. And that is people who describe themselves as, I love Jesus, but not the church. Jesus is important to me, but the church, I can take it or leave it. And I, I've been thinking about why this has arisen. Why is this such a, why is this a growing mindset among people who claim to follow Jesus? And, and I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. One of them may be that we have, we have instilled this, this mindset of independence. That, you know, it, me and Jesus is all I really need. And that, and that we have... We have created an atmosphere in which, in which the church is, quite frankly, not that, all that appealing to people. People who are involved in the church feel like it doesn't do anything about my faith. And that's the church's fault. And in fact, that idea of just me and Jesus is the church's fault. Because somehow we've communicated that message. 
But I also wonder sometimes if one of the reasons people give up on the church is because the church seems to disappoint them. The church seems to have the same kind of conflicts that everybody else has. The church seems to have disagreements and troubles like everybody else has. And of course, on the one hand, that that surprises us because we expect the church to be better. On the other hand, it disappoints us because we expect the church to be better. But the reality is, that's life with human beings. And the church is human is a bunch of human beings. And no human beings are perfect. We all mess up. We all make wrong decisions. We all get into conflicts. And, and we, we struggle. And here's the thing that helps me with that, is that we are not the first generation to do that. Because all you have to do is read the Bible and you see it. Read through the book of Acts and you find a number of stories of the church in conflict. Look at the letters that Paul particularly writes. Virtually every one of them is written to address some kind of problem, some kind of issue, some kind of conflict in the church. And that is certainly the case of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this letter, he begins the letter in chapter 1 by talking about the problem in the church and its divisiveness. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow uh, Peter. Uh, you know, they're all divided up. And this divisiveness is weaving its way through the entire letter. And it's, a, it's the undercurrent of all the problems they're dealing with. You get to chapter 11 and he's talking about worship and, and the sacrament of Holy Communion. And they're, they're, dis, they're in discord about that. And now you come to chapter 12 and Paul is writing them about spiritual gifts because there is conflict and discord about that as well. And they have taken something good and made it into a problem. Kind of sounds like human beings, doesn't it? It's sort of our MO. We take great things and we twist them and turn them. And so Paul is addressing that. And I'm convinced that the root of a lot of the conflict in churches has to do with gifts and ministries. It's not always that, but often it is. And it comes down to this this idea that I read about a number of years ago called ergocentricity. Ergocentricity. I don't know if it was a made-up word in the article I read or not, but but you know, egocentric people say, I'm better than you. Ethnocentric people say, my culture is better than you. Ergocentric people say, my work is better than yours. What I do is more important than what you do. I'm not saying your work is unimportant, it's just not as important. And I often find that is the root of a lot of our issues in the church when it comes to gifts and ministries. We're glad other people have ministries, but they should never be more important than my ministry. We're glad other people have gifts, but they're not, they're not as important as my gifts. And the conflict begins. And so Paul writes here, beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Look, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are essential. And the thing that he keeps saying throughout this, this section we read and throughout the rest of chapter 12 and on into the next few chapters is spiritual gifts have to be viewed from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Ten times in these 11 verses, he says, he talks about the Spirit. Five times he talks about, uses the word same in the sense of the same Spirit, the same God. You look at verses 4, 5, and 6 particularly, And he says, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different manifestations of the gifts. There are different ministries. The same Spirit, the same God. That is the focus of gifts and ministries. And when we forget that, we get get out of kilter. The Holy Spirit, he says, decides who gets what gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes them because only the Holy Spirit knows, has the kind of wisdom to know... Who can best utilize which gifts? And the Holy Spirit blesses those gifts and uses those gifts. And one of the worst things we can do is to say, my gifts are better than yours. My ministry is more important than yours. Because it is simply saying the Holy Spirit did something wrong. 
And we also go to the other extreme and we say, I wish I had those gifts. I wish I could do that ministry. And again, we're saying the same thing. The Holy Spirit messed up. And Paul is saying, all of us have gifts. All of us have the ability to be engaged in ministries. And rather than looking at other gifts and ministries in a, with a competing mindset, we look at them in a unifying mindset that all of us together create an atmosphere in which we do the work of the kingdom. And we're all needed and necessary. But when we start thinking selfishly, self-centeredly, ergocentrically, they get skewed. You know, as I was reading through this passage, one of the things that I kept asking myself is, it just struck me as an odd way for Paul to get into spiritual gifts. If you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, he begins by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And then he says... You know that you were still pagans. You were led astray, swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are all kinds of gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives but the same Spirit. And I'm thinking, those verses seem out of place there. But I think what Paul is trying to say to us is, when we use our gifts in the right way, when we have the right mindset about our gifts and ministries... We are in essence declaring with our lives, with our gifts, with our ministries, that Jesus is Lord. Because what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means that he's in control, not us. It means that he is the supreme one, not us. That our ministries are not about us getting recognition or accomplishing things or being successful. Our ministries are simply about pointing people to Jesus. Helping people encounter Jesus. Helping people be discipled in Jesus. And all of our gifts, all of our ministries are in essence declaring Jesus is Lord. And the the difficult part of that, Paul talks about when you once worship pagan idols... These pagan idols that are really not gods at all. They're just wood and stone. They have no power. When you, when you were pagans, he says, and you worshiped those idols, you were in essence saying, Jesus be cursed. I don't care about Jesus. I'm not interested in Jesus. Nothing in my life is about Jesus. And when we use our gifts and we see our ministries selfishly, Is it possible that we are actually saying, Jesus, be cursed? I don't really care about Jesus. Now, I know our response would be to say, no, no, I'm not going to say Jesus is cursed. I love Jesus. But the way we operate our gifts, the way we think about our ministries, is Jesus really in the center? Is it really about Jesus? If the Holy Spirit decided tomorrow that he was going to stop this ministry we're doing and move us to a different ministry, would we be okay with that? If the Holy Spirit said, look, I said, I'm not looking for you to gain recognition and success with what you're doing and how you use your gifts. I just want you to be faithful behind the scenes. Would we be okay with that? I think we can only declare Jesus is Lord with our gifts when we approach them in our ministries, when we approach them with a, a willing spirit of sacrifice and submission. Any other mindset is going to eventually come back to, it's really about me. It is only that mindset that says, I am willing, I willingly, lovingly, I, I, I surrender, I submit whatever gifts you've given me, whatever ministries I may have, I give them to you. They're yours. And if you choose to, if you choose to use them, take them, whatever you want to do, they're yours because it's not about me, it's about you. I, I never will forget hearing one of my spiritual heroes, Dennis Kinlaw, talk about when he first started out in ministry and he was preaching at a church up in Loudonville, New York in the Albany area and great things were happening in the church. 
And all of a sudden, he began to have trouble with his voice. And it, it didn't decrease, it increased. And he got to the point where he could hardly talk at all. And he said, I had this conversation with God. I kept praying for God to heal my voice, and he, didn't, he wouldn't heal my voice. He said, he said I eventually said, said, Lord, you called me to preach. And, and, and I need my voice. Lord, you know preaching is my life. And he said, it was as if I heard this voice speak into my mind saying, oh, really? I kind of thought I was your life. He said, I realized in that moment that I had to make a decision. If I never got my voice back and I never preached again, would I be okay with that? It's a hard question to answer. It may not be that for you, but whatever it is, whatever your gift is, whatever your ministry you feel called to, is, are you, is it so centered in Jesus, so centered in declaring that Jesus is Lord, that if we disappear, it's okay. It's okay. It's hard to do that. When I graduated from high school, our family, uh, my parents, my, my father was a pastor of a church in Indiana, and um, felt a call to missions. And that summer, the mission unexpectedly asked them to move to Oregon and to, uh, to oversee the work of the mission in the Northwest. We'd never been to the Northwest before, but they felt like this was the right thing to do. And so my family, we all moved to Oregon. And um, they lived there for five and a half years until they eventually went to the Philippines for 18 years. This was probably the, some of the hardest days, I think, of my dad's life. He moved from being in a, in a pastoral church setting that was uh, vibrant and growing, where he was in the middle of everything that was happening in the church. He was the person people called when there was a crisis. He, uh, he officiated at the great moments of celebration in people's lives. He was, he was the key person in, in the lives of, of hundreds of people, preaching every Sunday, creating a, a vision for the church, and, and being the point person for all of the, the spiritual development of all these people. And now he moved to Oregon, and all of that was gone. He didn't have a church. He traveled to different churches, one church here and a year later, maybe go back to that church again. No one called him much when they were in a crisis. No one called him to officiate at their great celebrations. Made a lot of phone calls to people who really weren't all that interested in missions. And it was the hardest, I think he would say it was probably the hardest five and a half years of his life. And he, I know on numerous occasions he questioned whether it was the right thing to do. When they got to the Philippines, he realized that God used those five and a half years to prepare him and my mother for that ministry. But I am convinced that the primary value primary thing that God did in, in moving us to Oregon and having my dad go through all of that was what it did for my younger sister and me. At that point in our lives, we were in crisis. We were, we were struggling. We, and, and, and moving to Oregon and the things that we encountered there in our lives changed our lives. And I've often said to my dad, thank you for being willing to do that. Because I know I am a completely different person than I would have been if my father had not been obedient to that call of God on his life. And it was costly for him and it was sacrificial for him. And he has said to me numerous times, I'd do it again for you. Our ministries, our gifts... Are about Jesus. 
And there is great joy in being able to realize that our gifts are helping other people. Our, our gifts are leading people to Jesus. Our gifts are, are helping folks understand who Jesus is and draw closer to him. And the point is not, are we getting recognition? Are we successful? But are we faithful? If Jesus is proclaimed as Lord, that's all that matters. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for the gifts you've given us, for the ministries that you provide for us. And I pray, Father, that you will give us the ability to want more than anything else to declare and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.